This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. How's everybody? You sure? All right, good to see all of you here. Hey, uh, I'm not Jason. Can you tell? Turn sideways? Profiles are similar? My hair is longer? It is longer. And my hair is pretty short. That's true. I, uh, I had a pretty fun experience getting a haircut a couple weeks ago, like four weeks ago now. And I went into this barbershop called Utah Barbershop in Long Beach. And I walk in, the lady says, you like a haircut? I said, yes, a regular haircut. She said, long or short? I said, long. That was four weeks ago. <laughs> so I try to talk to her in the uh, conversation. No habla inglés. She did not speak English. I'm not sure she even knew what long and short meant. So here I am standing before you with little hair, but still more than Jason's. Isn't that exciting? Good to see all of you. My name is Ed. For those of you who are visiting, it's in the bulletin, Ed Bush. No relation. I like bush beans and everything else about it. But uh, I want you to understand something. I'm not the normal preacher here. I'm not even a normal preacher, which is pretty good for me. I'm filling in for Jason. He's out of town. He was out of town last week. He's out of town today. Come back next week. He'll be here. I won't be. I'm going to be in Mexico with Gilberto. I'm going to Ensenada. I don't know who else is going among the church, but there are at least three of us going, four of us going. It'll be fun. We're going to join up, hook up with the Murrieta Church there at the City of Children and have a phenomenal weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. Weekend after that, I'll be here on the 18th, so maybe I'll get the lead singing. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever started a new job or a new hobby and you really didn't exactly know the rules of the road and didn't exactly know how to play the game or do the job well? Has that ever, anyone ever experienced that besides me? Like you start a new gig, you start something fun? I tried painting once. I'm not talking about painting houses. I'm talking about painting portraits or pictures. I never tried to paint a portrait. That would be scary. <laughs> that would be very, very frightening. But I tried to paint a landscape one time. It didn't go so very well. I couldn't tell which was up or down or where the sky was or the ground. It was pretty sad. I don't know much about painting. I want to share something with you that a lot of us, I, I think we miss it sometimes. I'm not sure we really know how to walk in the grace of God. A few weeks ago when Jason asked me to preach, I mentioned to Lynn as we were driving home, I said, Jason wants me to preach, what do you think I should preach on? She said, grace. I'm like, okay, I'll preach on grace. But I really want to talk not so much about grace itself, but what do we do with the grace of God? Once we get it, what do we do with it? And that's really the course of the conversation I want to have with you for a few minutes this morning. There's a verse of scripture in 2 Peter. I invite you to turn there. I don't have a PowerPoint. This is old school. You're going to have to have, give me some attention here this morning. I know some of us are ADD, ADHD, and I know some of us are anxious to get home because there are 17 football games on and we're anxious to go see them. There was one on this morning at 7.30. I couldn't believe it. I turned on the TV just because I was drinking coffee and was bored, and I turned on the TV and they're playing London, playing football in London, England, and they broadcasted it at 7.30 this morning, and I caught it at the beginning of the second quarter. What time did that thing come on? Second Peter, let me share this with you. 
Beginning in verse 1, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and, our, and, our, and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by the evil desires. For this reason, because God has given us His grace, because He's given us His power, because He's given us this amazing ability to walk in Him in the, in the everlasting nature of His essence and presence, because of that, He says this, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Or for those of you who remember the King James translation, virtue. And to your virtue or goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control or temperance. And to self-control, perseverance or patience. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection or brotherly kindness. And to mutual affection, love. What in the world is Peter trying to get us to understand? I think very simply this, for those of us who have come to faith, and by the way, how much do you need to know to come to faith that Jesus is the Son of God? I would submit to you not very much. I would submit to you that you and I don't have to know very much about Jesus to believe that He is the Son of God. We may need to understand the redemption and the story that goes with that, but we don't have to understand all of the theology. We don't have to understand all of the religiosity. We don't have to understand all the hermeneutic and all those wonderful religious kinds of words that people like, to, like us to understand. And we don't even have to understand the tradition of the church to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for our sins. But once we come to that point and we walk in grace and we've received the redeeming, cleansing blood of Jesus and He's washed away all of our sins forever from the past to the future, they're all gone. Now there's an expectation. He calls us to live a way that's different than the rest of the world. We're called out. You ever called out somebody? I've been called out. Yesterday morning was Saturday Friday is a better day to talk about because I was really called out on Friday. I got my days mixed up. Friday morning, I go to a meeting, have a wonderful breakfast with some people, go to another meeting, have a wonderful conversation. I get home, and I tell my wife, my computer has died. I have this wonderful Surface. You ever seen these? They're pretty cool. This one is brand new. Out of the box. Friday at 2.30. Because I bought one in March, and it died. And they were gracious enough to give me a new one when I went back to the Microsoft store. But before I went to the Microsoft store, I spent 45 minutes on the phone with a rep from Microsoft. And that evening when I get home, my lovely wife, Lynn, she and I have a conversation and she called me out. And she said, Ed, do you realize that you were not very nice to that guy on the phone? And you were pretty rude to that guy on the phone? And I said, you have no idea how frustrated I was. And she said, that's no excuse. And she's right. It's no excuse. I was really nice when I went to the store. You want to know why I was nice when I went to the store? Because I'm praying to Jesus. Make them give me a new computer. <laughs> Father, I have sinned. Please forgive me. This is confession morning. But that's the truth. When you want something, you're nicer. 
When you're trying to get something and you can't see them, it doesn't sometimes matter. But, I, but you see, when we walk in the grace of God, He expects us to live in a different way. So learning to walk in that grace is a challenge. And it's something that we get to experience through the, all of the entirety of our lives. And by the time you're 97 or 87 or 73, whatever the day is that is going to be your last day here on earth, maybe you're close. But it's a process. And so that's what Peter is describing here. The very first thing that we get to experience is faith because without faith, we would never come to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. We have to have that trusting, that understanding, that believing that He is truly the Son of God and He did come here to this earth and He really did go to the cross for our sins and because of that, we believe that He can save us for all of eternity and we place our faith and trust in Him. But what do we know from there? We don't really know anything for the most part, necessarily. There are a couple of babies in the room. I mean, little infants. I'm not talking about mentally, but there truly are some small children in the room. And they don't know much yet. They know how to pee. They know how to mess up their diapers. They know how to eat, but only if we'll feed them. They know how to yell and scream because they want to be fed. They know when they have a stomachache because they let us know about that. But they don't know very much about how to live life. They don't even know how to crawl yet. And it's a process. These verses of Scripture describe the process that you and I get to go through. And so Peter, in, the, in, his, in his infinite wisdom, by the power of the Spirit, he says, add to your faith goodness or virtue. So one of the coolest things we get to do once we come to faith is that we get to be excited about it. We get to be excited about it. When's the last time you had something good happen to you and you told 17 people about what happened to you? You won the lottery lately? you got to play to win. That's all I can say about that. you got to play to win. But have you ever had an opportunity, had something come across your way that you just got excited about? You won't believe what happened to me yesterday. You won't believe what happened to me last week. Hey, did you hear what happened too? You, you've done that, right? We've all experienced those things. We've all behaved that way. At your faith goodness. Let people know what's going on. That virtuous thing that has happened to you that's a wonderful thing. And then add to your goodness knowledge. Where in the world does knowledge come from? It's not a trick question. Where does knowledge come from? I just got to be honest with you. I went to high school. I went to elementary school. I went to grammar school. I went to middle school. I went to college three times. Bachelor's degree, master's degree, did some doctoral work at the University of Georgia. The last serious mathematics class I had in my life before college, graduate school, was Algebra 2 in the 11th grade. And then I go to college, and they show me this book called Statistics. Statistics is from the devil. Preach it. That's right, it's from the devil. So are computers, by the way. I'm just telling you they are. But all I'm saying is, I didn't get math. And I would work so hard trying to get the math. Do you remember the old math book, the algebra books from back in the day? They would have the even-numbered problems and the odd-numbered problems and the answers to the odd-numbered problems were in the back of the book. I had to do all the odd-numbered problems before I could do my homework on the even, and I still didn't understand it. And I go to statistics in college and graduate school. Thank be to God, the professor allowed me to have a cheat sheet for the tests. He said, you can have one sheet for the first test, two for the second, three for the third, four for the final exam. I, if I had been able to write, patent those, I would make a million dollars just selling my cheat sheets. 
because every possible formula from the book was on my cheat sheets. It's the only way I passed the class. I don't get statistics. I don't understand mathematics. That's why I write and I talk and I do those things. Because I can't do that. But the only way I would ever learn how to do it is if I studied it. Because I promise you, I went to sleep sometimes with my head like this on the math book and none of it ever came through. None of it ever came through. It doesn't come by osmosis. Knowledge comes from being a part of something about which you're trying to learn. You have to study it. You have to be with it. If you want to know the person with whom, about whom you're going to spend the rest of your life, you might want to spend time with them. Usually those of us who decide to get married, we court, we date, we get engaged, and we kind of hang out a lot before we finally walk down the center aisle at the church and the preacher says, do you, do you, do I pronounce you. We usually spend time together like that because we want to know the person with whom we're going to spend the rest of our lives, or at least pray to God we can spend the rest of our lives. It doesn't always work that way, but you have to spend time with God to know God. In order to understand Jesus, you have to spend time with him. And I wish I could tell you that if you spent time with anyone in the room, you would see Jesus. But the reality is we are all flawed in our own little ways, and you might see part of him in us sometimes, but you won't see all of him in me at any time. And so if you're ever going to get the true assessments and picture of who Jesus is, you better be, pick up a Bible and you better start reading it. And I'm not saying you've got to memorize it. And you don't have to know book, chapter, and verse for all the stuff that happens because when they wrote the stuff, there weren't any book, chapter, and verses. But you have to spend time with him. And you have to know the essence of who he is. You kind of have to know what he smells like and what he would sound like and what it would look like if he were there with you. And then when your surface goes dead on the podium, what do you do? You find the button that turns it on, and when they give you new machines, you don't even know how to get it back to the right page. It's exciting, isn't it? Add to your knowledge self-control. How do you learn a little bit of self-control and temperance? How do you learn about perseverance and patience? How do you get to know about those things? I'll give you a secret. The only way to have some self-control and to have some patience is to be challenged by those things in life with which you have no self-control and you have no patience. Because it's not a challenge. It's not something to learn if you already know and it doesn't bother you. The old adage, hey, don't ask God for patience because he'll give it to you. And he's not going to give it to you easily. You'll have to learn it. But when you think about what God has called us to and the kind of people that he's called us to be, we have to learn how to be patient with everyone. Do you think God's been patient with you? And how many times? And what, and, and what has he been patient with you about? What is there in your life that he has needed to be patient with you? Are you still struggling with some of the same sins that you struggled with last year or the year before that or maybe 17 years ago or 82, however old you are? Are you still struggling with the same things? We're human, right? The reality of humanity is we truly are creatures of habit. And sometimes habits are easily formed, but they're not easily broken. And we created those habits a long time ago in our lives. And we figured out that that was pretty cool and I like that and I seem to enjoy that and I keep doing that. Maybe it's a good habit, maybe it's not such a good habit, but the reality is it's still a habit. And in order for us to get through that, God will have to help us with some challenges 
to break those. Self-control and patience are two attributes that God calls us to have in our lives. The greatest essence of that is when we extend that self-control and patience to other people. Think about Jesus. I'm thinking specifically of the story and the time when he stood on the hillside overlooking Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to take you under my wing like a mother hen takes her chicks under her wings. He longed to protect them. And they wouldn't even listen to him. As a matter of fact, the day that he was crucified, most of the city were up in arms about him and they wanted him crucified and they wanted him gone. They wanted to rid the earth of him because he wasn't playing the game that everyone thought he should play and by the rules that they thought he should play. Self-control and patience come from understanding more of who God is and come from understanding just a little bit more about how Jesus dealt with people when he was with them and the amount of patient endurance that he had with those and even calling people to endure him and to be patient with him. Do you remember the story of Lazarus when he died? Jesus is made aware of his impending death days before he dies. He's in another city. Mary and Martha have sent people to tell Jesus that, he's, that Lazarus is near death. And what does Jesus do? He did nothing. He knew what was coming. There's no doubt. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that there was going to be a way in which he could receive glory and honor for God and that God could be glorified in what was about to happen because he knew when he arrived he was going to raise him from the dead. But he asked those around him to be patient with the circumstances. And so when you and I look at our lives, we have to be patient. And then to that perseverance and that patience, we have to add godliness. How patient is God? I don't know how long the world's been around. I'm not a scientist. I don't even know if all the scientists know how long the world's been around. I have no idea how long we've been here as people. Don't know. Not even sure what we looked like before the flood. Because I've seen pictures of some crazy big skeletons. And I don't think they were just formed out of the dust of the ground just to be there. It's kind of weird. Never seen a live dinosaur either, but I've been to the Natural Museum of History up in New York and Manhattan or wherever that thing is, and there's some big dinosaurs there. I don't know what the world was like before the flood. I don't even know what the world was like in 1822 because I didn't live here then. All I know is what I know now, but when I think about how God is looking with us and dealing with us, and when I consider that he calls us to be godly like him, I think about all that he has done and all that he has put up with and all of the patience that he has had with us. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, we are still awaiting that day when God says, hey, Jesus, it's time. And the earth is going to be destroyed and whatever that means and how he's going to do it. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, whatever that means and how he's going to do it. I really could care less. You want to know why? Because my home is secured in heaven. And even if I get the broom closet, it's okay. I don't know how God's going to do all that. But I know he's called us to be godly like he is. And being godly like he is causes us to be patient. And causes us to have that self-control and to see people for who they truly are with the, with, with the vision of brotherly kindness and with love. Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another. Seriously? That's the new command? Love one another? So my question for you is, do you love one another? 
Now, I would suspect that every one of you would say, yes, I love you. You would. You don't even know me very well. I don't even know you very well. But you would say, yeah, I love you. We're in the church. We're family. We're brothers, sisters. I love you. Of course I love you. I'd do anything in the world for you. Seriously. No, you wouldn't. Because I know you and I know me. And we're not there yet. Because it's not time yet. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Help me understand how much Jesus loved us. I think Carl alluded to that when he shared with us some comments about the Lord's Supper when Jesus hung on the cross for those six hours. Seriously, guys, half the time we won't even dry the dishes. But we love our wives. Not meaning to meddle. And ladies... We don't want to pick up his underwear because we've told him 17 times, do not leave your underwear on the floor in the bathroom when you get out of the shower. But we love him. And then there's that stranger that we don't even know, the guy or the gal that's at work that does some crazy, stupid stuff that we really don't like and it annoys us to the end of the day and we complain and fuss about it all the time and we don't even know her name. And we see right through them because we don't like what they do. But we don't even know their name. Or the guy that's driving down the road and he cuts you off. And you catch up with him just so you can cut him off. Because it's the right thing to do because he shouldn't have done that to you. Guys, all I'm offering to you is simply this. Jesus commanded us, love one another. We get love. All kinds of love, right? Agape love, phileo love, eros love. There's all kinds of wonderful loves. Jesus says, as I have loved you. And if I'm not mistaken, the love about which Jesus is speaking is, are you willing to die? Are you willing to die? See, that's why I think it takes a long time for us to get to the point that we truly love. Because when we become a believer, the first day that we're a Christian, the first day that we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we even baptize for the remission of our sins, guess what? I'm not sure that any of us are ready to die for anyone else on that day. Because I'm not sure we get this love thing yet. It takes time. The wonderful little book that was written, The Velveteen Rabbit, has a paragraph or two that talk about love. When Marjorie wrote the book, I forget her last name, but I remember her first name was Marjorie. One of the paragraphs that she put in there is that love takes a very long time. And the little velveteen rabbit is talking to the little horse, the wooden horse, and he says, how do you become real? How do you really become real? Because he wanted to be real. He wanted to be loved by the little boy. And the wooden horse, in all of his wisdom, said it takes a very, very long time to be real. By the time your hair is falling out and your buttons are ragged and the stuffing is coming out because the seams are a little worn, then you become real. And I offer to you that you and I become real. We really become to love 
become to have the ability to love people when we've had time with God, when we've had time with Christ, when we've had time with Him and His Word, when we've had a little bit of time to experience patience and perseverance, and we've come to understand just a little bit more what self-control means. And when we can look at someone and not see them for the, the silliness or the bad things that they've done or the things that we necessarily don't approve of, when we see them for who they are, then we know their name. we would be willing to die for them then then we're walking in grace see the thing that scares me about church just laying it out here guys being pretty transparent right now the thing that scares me about church is you can come in those doors and you can look nice and you got beautiful clothes on. You got your makeup done, ladies. You got your hair fixed. Gentlemen, your beautiful suits and ties and your nice clothes and you look good. And you got your watches on and the cufflinks and everything is good. And you walk right out of here and you had an hour with us and you leave and nothing really happens. Because we never get to love. Because when you come in here, you don't have to die. Because you're being taken care of. Because you got a song leader. Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. Okay. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. We got a song to sing in a minute, buddy. You got a song leader leading the singing. You got a man guiding you in the thoughts of the Lord's Supper. You got a shepherd and elder saying a prayer for us. You got a Bible teacher. If you came at 930, you had a Bible teacher tell you a little few things and you got to talk with them. And then you got this crazy preacher doing his thing. And then we're going to sing a song and then somebody's going to say a prayer and say amen and we're out the door. When did you get to die? And when did you get to love? Because see, I think the two go together. And we're so disconnected in our world today from one another. For Pete's sake, I drive 50 minutes to get here. We're so disconnected. Where do we get to love? And when do we get to love? And how will we get there? I want us to walk in grace. But I want us to see that it is a progression. And Peter even goes on to say that these should be growing in increasing measure in our lives. Because that's the natural response to walking in grace. Yes, we are saved by the grace of God. There's no doubt. If you become a believer, you accepted Christ, you allowed someone to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, your sins were washed away, you were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and if you died right now, I have no doubt you'd go to heaven. But between now... And when you get to that point that you die, how will you live in grace? And what is your response to the most amazing, incredible, phenomenal gift that God's ever given to anything or anyone? And our response to that is this ever-increasing measure of learning more about Him 
and having just a little bit more self-control and more patience and having a spirit that's just a little more persevering than what we used to have and understanding that it's not all about us, it's about others. And Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And he came to die so we wouldn't have to die eternally. And then his death, he left us the most wonderful expression, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. That's grace. And you thought it was simple. So this morning I offered an invitation to you for those of you who are walking in grace. What does your life look like? Is it honoring God? Is it glory to God? Are you bringing glory and honor to him in everything that you do, word or deed? That's what the book says. Whatever you do in word or deed, in all the glory of God. Is God present there? Is his grace living in you? Are you patient? Are you loving? Are you kind? Is brotherly kindness and love being expressed? Are you willing to die? Are you willing to give yourself for someone else? Jesus said no greater gift, no greater thing could someone do than to lay down his life for another. And then there's some of you here who may not have even come into that walk yet of grace. And all I ask you to acknowledge is that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. He went to a cross for your sins, and because he went to that cross for your sins, guess what? If you'll accept his free gift of grace, then God, on that wonderful day that we call judgment, he'll say to you, welcome home, good and faithful servant, not... Depart from me, I never knew you. So I invite you to begin a walk in grace this morning. We're going to sing the song of invitation and invite you, if we can pray with you in any way, to encourage you in your walk or to bring you home into that walk. Let's stand and sing the song together. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever pray.